Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, it's really great that you have joined us. It's looking like another day in Washington where we, the public, are going to get a look inside the impeachment inquiry with public testimony today from William Taylor, the top diplomat in Ukraine, and George Kent, who's the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. So who are these men and what can we expect to learn over the course of today's proceedings? We want to dig into that and discuss how these public elements of the inquiry fit into the larger impeachment process. And joining us for that conversation is Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. He represents Michigan's 5th District. Dan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. All right. So let's start with the two men who are being questioned today. Who are they and what is the context of how they fit into this larger inquiry? Well, they're Today's two witnesses are uh, Bill Taylor, who, um, you know, is a career diplomat. He was the top diplomat in Ukraine, and he was the one who revealed to the investigators that there had been this parallel foreign policy channel set up by Rudy Giuliani. I mean, it was obviously pretty critical to the whole case now, especially the case surrounding Ukraine. The other is George Kent, who is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for um, European and Eurasian Affairs, who also described Giuliani's effort to defy uh, bipartisan support for Ukraine and and push this political investigation to benefit President Trump. Chilling to think about these two career ambassadors, professionals, not partisan people, although the president has tried to I think very erroneously mischaracterize some of these people as being, you know, sort of never Trumpers. That's just ridiculous. These are career people who have seen wrongdoing, have been called to testify uh, in these depositions that they testified in, told the truth, and now are going to go before the committee to reveal for the American people for all to see uh, just uh, what they witnessed. And, and I think it will paint a picture of a lawless president who's drunk with power and who's willing to do anything to anyone he can in order to keep himself in power. So one of the things that has been interesting for me watching all of this is to see how the public reacts to all of these revelations. And it, it does seem as though it's not quite getting the reaction that you would think it would. I mean, what what you just, just described there are very serious transgressions of executive power, the kinds of things that the founders themselves were really worried about when they created the executive branch uh, and they put things like the impeachment process into the Constitution to try to make that a check on that kind of transgression. What What do you think is the reason so far that we don't see a groundswell of public opinion sort of rising up against what the president did here. What, why is that happening? Well, I think in part, public opinion is not just natural and organic. It is shaped by leaders and the way they characterize the events of the day. And this is where I think, particularly as public leaders, we have a responsibility not just to respond to public opinion, but to inform public opinion. And so the reason I put it that way is, it has been shocking the extent to which the Republican Party in general, and specifically Republicans in Congress, have ignored 
history and have ignored, have ignored standards and been willing to defend this president despite their own obvious private misgivings that they are willing to articulate in the elevator on the way to the floor of the House, but never on the floor of the House itself. So I, I think public opinion very much in part is shaped by the sort of the populism of this president and his base, but magnified by the fact that voices that would normally be expected to speak up against this kind of behavior have essentially traded their thirst uh, for their own seats and their own power um, in order to support a, a president who is not a Republican in any way, shape or form, but carries the banner of their party. So somehow they've reconciled this with themselves. I think I think history is going to treat the Republicans in Congress very poorly if they continue down this path. And, of course, the effect, as you stated, is that public opinion appears to be very much divided. Their voices could be very important right now, and their voices, unfortunately, are silent. And so this is the first time that the American public will hear from these two witnesses firsthand. You've taken testimony from them behind closed doors up till now. Do you think this turn toward public hearings is one of the things that might help convince the American public that this is as big a deal as Democrats say it is? I think I think so. The fact that the American people, those who tune in, will have a chance to see with their own eyes, hear with their own ears, these career professionals describe the president's behavior, describe the efforts of this administration more precisely to persuade a foreign government to investigate one of his political rivals, I think that will will get public attention. I do still, however, believe that if we hear Republicans trying to rationalize, normalize those behaviors and try to say, well, it's not what you're, you don't, 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 don't believe what you see and hear. Believe what we tell you. Uh, unfortunately, I think some people will be swayed by that. But I think it can potentially be a powerful moment. Hmm. Um, I want you to talk a little about Republicans' involvement in this. Congressman Devin Nunes sent a list of people that he says Republicans would like to see added to the open hearings. And that list includes Hunter Biden. Um, is that just for optics or is that something that you think Democrats really should consider? When we when we had the Clinton impeachment hearings, both sides of the aisle agreed on who the witnesses would be. Should that also be the way that we do this uh, with President Trump? Yeah, but you made the key point. Both sides would have to agree who the witnesses would be. And I think the big difference is that you have a Republican Party that has one mission here, and that is to turn this entire event into a circus. Uh, this is a conspiracy theory that somehow Hunter Biden was involved in some nefarious activity. Even the Ukrainians say that's not true. It is a falsehood. But the Republicans want to sort of create this bizarre sense of equivalency between something that the president has practically admitted to already and for which witnesses have been testifying and this crazy theory. I mean, if they, if they want to turn it into a circus, then I, mean, I suppose the next thing they'll do is ask for President Obama's birth certificate and get Buzz Aldrin to come and testify as to whether or not we actually landed on the moon in 1969. They are willing to go down any weird, bizarre 
uh, you know, internet fueled conspiracy in order to not talk about what's right in front of their eyes. And that is a president who is violating his oath, who is violating the Constitution. And they, they seem to be willing to make a mockery of it. And we're just not going to be a party to that. We're not going to agree to it to try to come up with some, you know, sort of false satisfaction that we've treated them fairly. Treating them fairly means allowing them to question the witnesses, relevant witnesses to the facts of, of this investigation, not allow them to go on some publicity stunt in order to divert attention from this president that they're trying so hard to protect. My guest is Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. He represents Michigan's 5th District in Washington. We're talking about hearings today in which William Taylor and George Kent, two witnesses who have information about President Trump's call with the leader of Ukraine, are going to testify in public uh, to talk about what they saw and what they think it means. Um, Dan, I, I wonder if you can talk a little about the questioning. Um, there's limited time in these hearings to, to actually ask questions and get substantive answers. And I think that often is one of the difficulties that you have convincing the public, for instance, that these things are as uh, grave as, as Democrats say they are. Um, it, what's the best method to ask the questions that will get the right answers in, in hearings like this? Well, in this particular instance, I'm very pleased because I've been pushing for this. There will be a different method utilized. Um, the Republicans and the Democrats each initially will have a 45-minute period that the chairman or the chair's ranking member's designee um, can use to dig deep, to get a consistent narrative, to ask and answer, uh, have answered questions, and then follow up in order to really reveal facts. It is expected that, at least in the case of the Democratic uh, um, time, and I assume this will be the case for Republicans, that much of that will be yielded to the attorneys for the uh, committee. Mm -hmm. So it will, I think, be a much more uh, orderly and, I think, instructive process than what we typically see in a congressional hearing where there's this sort of badminton back and forth between Democrats for five minutes and Republicans for five minutes and going from one member to a different member. So this will be hopefully the way this process will move forward with the other committees, particularly the Committee on Judiciary, because I think it will help clarify all of this and maybe erase some of the circus-like atmosphere that we saw when the Judiciary Committee met previously. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any way that you can imagine Democrats will not advance this process to the actual impeachment process that would unfold in the House? I mean, uh, is this a foregone conclusion based on the testimony you've taken behind closed doors and what we're seeing now is an effort to just sort of include the public in, in understanding what's going on? Or are you still trying to evaluate how serious all of this was and whether it rises to the level of impeachment? Well, I think those are two questions. Unless somehow there is a fact witness that comes forward that contradicts the litany of witnesses that have come forward so far. In other words, someone who contradicts this narrative that, no, this didn't happen, that the president didn't have this orchestrated effort to try to essentially bribe Ukraine into interfering in the election. Uh, unless that happens, um, I see us continuing down the path. The second question is, then, 
whether or not this rises to the level of an impeachable offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a grave matter. This is not some misdemeanor. This isn't a parking ticket. This isn't some oversight. It's not some accident. This is a, 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 by all appearances, a coordinated effort by the President of the United States to violate the Constitution by engaging a foreign power to investigate his political foes. This is something you expect from a totalitarian government, not from the greatest democracy on earth. So uh, it is my view that if those facts stand, the Constitution gives us a single tool to deal with a president who is so willing to violate his oath and the Constitution, and that is impeachment. Hmm. And give us a sense of how you assess the criticism that this is so close to a political campaign and an election in next November that that there's no way that Democrats could pursue this process without seeming overtly political. Uh, what's your answer to that? Well, you know, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution and to do it when it was easy and to do it when it was hard. Uh, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution all 24 months of my two-year term. And the idea that history would treat us well if we somehow decided that a, the, the judgment that we make, that a president's violating the Constitution, uh, should be set aside because of the potential implications for the next election, when we are more than a year, just about a year away from that election, I just think is an abdication of our responsibilities. And I think for a lot of people, it would just be a cop-out. You know, we were so offended when Mitch McConnell decided just by fiat that because there was an election coming a year or so away, that the president, uh, when President Obama nominated the Supreme Court justice, that no, we're just going to wait. That you know what, we're going to suspend the Constitution and all of our responsibilities until the next election. Uh, I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, not just the fun parts of the Constitution, <laughs> but the hard parts as well. And I'm going to do my job. Okay, Dan Kildee, Democrat from Flint Township, representative of Michigan's 5th District. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by University of Michigan's Dean of Education, Elizabeth Moji, to talk about the new school at Marygrove and other education issues here in Detroit and in Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 